Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Howdy, howdy. You guys can flip to Zechariah for me, please. It is the book, two books back from Matthew. So almost dead center in the Bible. What I'd like you all to do, if you could do me a huge favor, is pick up your cell phone. If you didn't bring it, that's cool. That means you're holier than we are. So if you have your cell phone, go ahead and pick it up. Now hold it high. Like straight up. Okay. Now, how does your cell phone work? Like, how does it get all your Pokemon stuff? Ah, I didn't mean Seriously, how, how does it get all your face? You, you can put them down now. I appreciate it. You guys, you guys got a lot of energy. Yeah. How, seriously, how does it get all your Facebook updates, uh, Instagram stuff, you know, whatever, you know, Bobby had for dinner last night? You know, how do, how do you get alerted to all this stuff? Yes, radio waves, right? It, there's this thing called spectrum. It's megahertz, right? And it goes off, and the different cell phone carriers have different spectrums that they own. So what happens is, is all through this, this radio waves, it's communicating all of the information that you want. And it's going from your little phone, which has more technology than anything ever up until today, into your pocket. How do you heat up food in the microwave? How does that work? And my, microwave waves, right? And like, does anybody know how that actually works? It sends microwaves through your food, and what it does is it creates friction at the atomic level, I believe it's the atomic level, inside your food. So what happens is, is they do like this. And from the inside out, it heats up. But do you see microwaves? If you saw microwaves, do you think you'd ever use a microwave again? Probably not, right? If you saw all the signals coming to your phone all day, do you think you'd put that thing anywhere near your body? Probably not. There's all these invisible things that we don't have the perception for. There's all these things that happen on an everyday basis that are going through the world. Satellites communicate millions and millions of gigabytes worth of information, and it goes right past your head, and you never even see it. We know all that is true. It's verifiable. We use it every day. We believe in it. This is how our lives work. But there's this weird disconnect with a lot of people that would consider themselves Christians in that we believe all of these things we can't see are real, but when it comes to the spiritual world, we're kind of either tone deaf or we don't believe in it at all. We don't think that it's real. We hear angels, demons, Satan. Nah, not for me. That's not real. You mean to tell me that someone's bad mood today might have a spiritual component? 
It might not be because they woke up late. There actually might be some spiritual warfare happening. We act like that stuff's not real or we dismiss it because it's easier. Because if we actually acknowledge that that stuff happens, let's all be real. That's pretty scary. Right? To imagine that in this room right now there's spiritual warfare taking place. Things are popping into your head and you don't know why you're thinking about what happened last Tuesday. You don't know why you can't focus on what God is trying to relay to you right now. There's a spiritual component to all this stuff. And we see over and over again in Scripture, sometimes what, what God will do is when people aren't getting it, when there's, there's just like a, a halt in the work of what God would have them do, he'll peel back the curtain like we read in Revelation. And he'll say, write this down. This is what's really happening. Tell this to my people. This is the real world. The physical world isn't the real world. It's real to us. But what's the, the bigger deal, the more important things are happening on the spiritual side. That's our big idea, is that the next chapter of your life will be defined in the spiritual world, not the physical. So remember, we've talked about God has saved you. He's taken you from death to life, and now he's writing the next chapter of his story and of your life. And it's all together. This chapter of your life will be defined by what happens spiritually. There can be a lot of things that go well physically. You can go to church every single Sunday. You can be involved in every single Bible study. You can wear the right clothes. You can smile to the right people. You can be nice. But spiritually, you can be incredibly busted all at the same time. And so far from God, it's disgusting. The next chapter of your life will be defined by the spiritual, not the physical. What is it God's doing in your life? Are you following him? That's what we're talking about. So we're going to go through Zechariah, these first six chapters. And don't worry, I know you hear six chapters and you're like, ooh, that's crazy. It's a set of visions that God has given Zechariah. Remember what was going on, right? They're rebuilding the... Temple, right? So they're rebuilding the temple, and the work had halted. We talked about this in Haggai last week. And when the work halted, God raised up a leader, declared his truth to them in Haggai 1 and 2, and Zechariah was one of the prophets of the time. So now we're going to jump into Zechariah and see what God has to say. Let's pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. Father, we know that you are good. We believe that to be true. We believe that your word is true. And Lord, we know that you've saved us. But Lord, even knowing all of those things, really knowing them, doesn't make this morning any less difficult. We still have our own baggage. We still have our own trouble. We still have our own issues we're dealing with. We still have all the other things we need to get done. Our prayer is that you would wipe that off the counter right now, God. That you would make this time about you, your word, what you're doing in the lives of your people, and that your spirit would use that to soften our hearts today. Father, we know that we can turn this into a book exercise and just learn more about the spiritual world, but not actually apply that to our lives, not actually leave being changed by understanding your truth. Help us to not do that, Father. 
Help us to, to see your world, the real world, and to be changed by it like Zechariah was. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go through a, a series of visions that Zechariah has. But before we do that, we're going to go through these first few verses. So follow along with me, verses 1 through 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants and prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. So you see here in these first six verses, it's, it's a call to repentance. So remember the characters we're talking about. You have Zechariah. You have Zerubbabel. Okay, so Zechariah and Zerubbabel. First off, two crazy Z names. Kind of nuts. So we're going to call one dude Zeb. We're going to call the other dude Zech. Sound good? On board? All right. So you got Zerubbabel, Zeb, he's the governor. You have Joshua, he's a high priest, and we're going to talk about him later. And then you have Zechariah. Up until this stage, Zechariah had not been talked about in Haggai. Remember? I know, it's a lot of names. What's happening now is a month after, right here, one month after God's people criticized the younger generation about the rebuilding of the temple. Do you remember that? from last week? So you had the older generation, they looked at the temple, and what was their response? Remember? That's not like our old temple. Our old temple was awesome. It had gold everywhere. This is, this is like a shack, right? Remember that? This is a month after that happens. Haggai is not done when we jump into Zechariah. That's the point, okay? So Zechariah says to them, in the eighth month, in the second year, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, right? The word of the Lord comes to him and he says, God is very angry with your fathers. Why was he angry with their fathers? Anybody remember? He's angry because they weren't following him. That was the whole point. They continuously lifted up other idols. That's why they were in captivity to begin with. Right? So what he says is, the God, remember when, we, when you see the word, the God of, uh, God of, Lord of hosts, that means Lord of Angel Armies. He says it three times in that one verse. The Lord of Angel Armies. The Lord of Angel Armies. The Lord of Angel Armies. An army that shows up right now that's an angel army. Are we going to see them? Physical world, spiritual world. Spiritual world, right? So he's pointing out that the God of Angel Armies has call, called them to repentance. And he promises that he'll return to them. So he says, I called your fathers into repentance. And they didn't. So what do you think you need to do? He says, don't be like your fathers. They didn't listen to God. Listen to God. Follow me and I will return to you. And then finally he closes with the fact, this is cool. They realized that he was dealing with them the way that he said he would. Do you see that in verse 6? He says, when they went off into captivity, they finally had that realization moment of going, oh, God said if we don't follow you, 
you're going to put us into captivity. So God's actually putting us into captivity. You ever had that moment with your kids or maybe you or the person who someone said they're going to do something and then finally it happens? And you have that realization of, oh, actual discipline has come, right? That's how the book begins, this call to repentance. And now we're going to take a couple of scenes and we're going to jump into these visions. Now, I promise you, I'll be faithful to the scripture. There's a lot here, so we're not going to read through all of it. In fact, we're going to skip most of it. But I want to tell you the stories of what Zechariah is, is seeing. The first one, I call it on patrol, okay? So you see this in verses 7 through 17. This is really cool. So Zechariah says, follow along if you'd like, but Zechariah says, I, a vision comes to me. I look and I see horsemen coming down. And I say to the angel who's showing me what's happening, hey, what's going on with these horsemen? What are they doing? And he says, they're on patrol of the earth. So these guys are literally patrolling the earth, following after God. So the first thing is that Zach sees the horse, right? Riding in, there's a red horse, there's a couple of different colored horses. He's told that they're the ones that were sent to patrol the earth. The angel asks God when he will have compassion on the Israelites. This is really cool. So what God, the angels are talking to God, remember, because we get to see the spiritual side here. The angel says to God, how long will your indignation burn against them? He's talking to God. He sees God as God really is, and he's asking God a question. And God responds, I will comfort them. I know what I'm doing. So what does this actually tell us? Because remember, this, this can be uh, an academic exercise where we just go through the verses, but what does it actually mean? It tells us that God actively sends out angels to look over the physical world defending his people. The God who we follow is actively sending out angels to guard us and to guard what he is doing. That's pretty cool. How cool would it be to actually see that? And by cool, I mean just scary as all get out. To see what God is actually doing, sending these patrol guys out. And this isn't the last we'll hear from them. We're going to hear from them at the, uh, the very last vision. It also tells us that the angels, like us, don't understand everything that's happening. How cool is that? We get this idea that angels are this like being that knows everything God does and they're above everything. Angels are different than us, obviously, right? We are not angels. Angels are not um, human beings. But what this passage explains to us is they don't know how God's going to do everything either. They're asking God, what are you going to do? They've been in captivity for 70 years, God. What are you going to do now? How, how are you going to bring them back? What's going to happen? So there's a mirror effect in that we're here looking at what God's doing in the world and we don't always get it. They're in the spiritual following God and they don't always get it either. Kind of crazy, right? It's not the last one though. Also, you don't need all the details to follow God in the next chapter. For us. We don't need to know all the details of what God is doing in our life to be able to follow him. Let me ask you guys a question. You're going to move across the country, right? right? We've talked about that quite a bit, actually. Do your kids know all the details about what went into the move, how it's going to work, how you're funding it? Do they know all that stuff? 
do they need to know all that stuff? No, right? I mean, they trust you, your parents. What they need to know is that you're following God and you're, doing, and you're, you're going to take care of this, right? You're responsible, you're going to handle this. That's what they need to know. Us following God is a lot like that. We do not need to know all of the details of what God's going to do in our life five years from now, ten years from now, five minutes from now. What we need to know is, God, what have you called me to do? Am I following you? Do I trust you? And, don't miss this, it's completely okay to ask, ask him. God, what are you doing here? What's happening? How are you going to pull this off? He may tell you. <laughs> may not. But either way, it's totally cool to ask. The next scene that you'll see, it's, it's four horns. This is in verses 18 through 21, okay? So what happened is now Zach looks up and he sees four horns and he asks the angel, hey, what's the deal with this? And the angel responds, these are the horns that scattered Judah and Israel. So he says, these are the things that God raised up that would scatter God's people because they did not follow him. When you see the word horn, think authority or power. That's what it's symbolizing. Zach then sees four craftsmen. Some of your translations may say blacksmith. He asks, you know, what are these guys going to do? And the angel says, they're here to overthrow the horns. Kind of crazy, right? Just throwing this out there, the spiritual world doesn't always make sense to us. In fact, it very rarely will. That's why you have the angel right there explaining everything. So he sees these horns. And he says, hey, what's the deal with these things? And the angel says, those are the things that God raised up to overtake his people. Who are his people? Israel and Judah, right? And we know this nation was taken down, right? They went off into captivity. So God raised up people. Think Assyria, think Babylon, right? Okay? God raised up these to remove them. But then he's raising up craftsmen to take them out. And all of this is happening in the spiritual world. And we see remnants of it. Obviously, they could see the Babylonian army coming up, but they couldn't see how God was going to use it. So what does this actually tell us? That God allows for his people to be harmed if that's what it takes to get their attention. You see this over and over and over again. We've actually seen it in this series. God will make your circumstances incredibly difficult if that's what it takes to get your attention. He's working in the spiritual world to raise up someone else to overtake those that would have harmed his people. So not only did he raise them up, but now he's going to raise up those that would overtake them and are you lost yet? Right? There's a lot going on here. And finally, God never stops correcting his people, even in the next chapter. God's people, you've given your life over to him, you're following him. The God of the universe doesn't stop correcting you. You're still being corrected by God. Third scene. This is chapter 2. Okay, so this is really cool. So now, Zechariah lifts up his eyes and he sees another vision. And what's happening in this vision is an angel is measuring Jerusalem. So he sees a guy out there with some measuring tape. It's his measuring line in most of your translations, right? So he's measuring Jerusalem, and he's measuring the length and the width, and of course, Zechariah does it as he does throughout this entire section. He sees it, and he asks, hey, what's going on here? So it shows he and the other angels are rushing around. Okay? Do me a favor. Focus real quick, because this is really cool. The angels are measuring Jerusalem. Zechariah sees them, 
And they're not walking around like the men in black, like they know what they're doing. They're not walking around going, okay, this is what's next. No, they're scurrying. They're rushing. They're measuring Jerusalem. And you know what they're finding out? It's not big enough to house all the people that are going to come back. The angels don't know the whole story. It's so cool. God declares that he's working this out because they, they're going to ask. Hey, God, it's right there. They're saying, God, what are you going to do? Jerusalem's not big enough for all the people that are going to come back. Because remember, they went off to Babylon and they had lives and now they have families. And they're going to be, Jerusalem's not big enough. And God says, I got this. I'm working it out. And look at the rest. Soon many other nations will join Israel by being his people. So God used the captivity as a way to not only discipline his people, but to draw more people back to himself. Crazy how he's working on all these different levels. So what does that tell us? The angels don't know how God is going to pull this off. They don't always see what God is going to do. They believe that it's going to work out, and that mirrors us. That mirrors our lives. God does everything with a purpose in both the spiritual and the physical. God never made a decision and went, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. He knows what he's doing. The next chapter includes God using you to draw people to him. And sometimes, God will use your boneheadedness and your poor choices to do that. Put you in a crazy situation and use you to declare his word. It's pretty incredible how God does this stuff. Next one. This is chapter 3. We're going to read it. Verse 1 reads, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Israel rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And, and to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let, me, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in many in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge over my courts, and I will give you the right to access among those who are standing here. So now you have Joshua, the high priest, in a crazy turbulent time, being called by God to lead God's people. But we get to see God's throne room. We're not only seeing Joshua, a leader, getting raised up in Jerusalem. We're seeing what's happening in the spiritual world of Joshua standing before God. So what do we notice? He sees God. He sees Joshua standing before Satan. And what is Satan doing? He's accusing him. What's he accusing him of? He's clothed in his sin. He's clothed in his past. God rebukes Satan saying he is chosen and he's about to be used. Now this is really cool. 
the image that he's talking about there, is he not, not a brand used for the fire? What he's saying is he's a brand who's been in the fire and is heated and is ready to now be taken to leave a mark. To brand. Do you see what God's doing? He's saying, no. You can accuse him of all of this past sin. I have chosen him, and my choice is above you, is above what you say he's done wrong. And then he continues, and he says, take off all your dirty garments, and he replaces them with proper robes. When you hear dirty garments, that's his past, that's his sin. And then he says he'll give Joshua authority if he walks in God's ways. So what does this actually tell us about God and Satan and us and our, our roles? It's that Satan's role is one of an accuser before God. He points out our past sin. Satan is before God saying, that one is terrible. Look at all of the things they've done. Now this is pre-Jesus' death on the cross. Okay? So we know this image with Jesus in the room, right? Is this sounding a little bit different with Jesus not in the room saying he's already paid for their sin? Remember that we're talking about still under the sacrificial system, right? So... Satan is saying, look at how dirty they are. Look how horrible they are. And God is saying, I've chosen them. He's mine. I have a purpose for him. Please don't miss this. God's plan upstages Satan's accusations. For those of you in the sound of my voice that have past problems, we all do, but you know what I'm talking about, where maybe there's that thing in your past that you just get hung up on. And it comes into your head over and over and over again. And it's the thing that holds you back time and time again. That is the enemy accusing you. God has paid for your sin. Your sin's paid for. It's over. He has clothed you in white robes. He has taken it off. God calls the believer out of their past sin and into the next chapter that he's writing. He's, when he took you from death to life, that was all paid for. It was done. And it's the enemy that constantly pulls you back and draws you back into your past failure and makes you think that that's what's defining you now. It isn't. What defines you is Jesus' love and what he has done in your life. So how are you doing with your past? Are you viewing it with the frame of reference of God's paid for it all? Because Joshua was called. Joshua had problems. He clearly, on the spiritual side of things, did not look clean. But God paid for his sin anyway. It's beautiful. Just a few more. Chapter 4 is the lampstand and olive trees. So what's happening here is that Zach now sees a golden lampstand with seven lamps. Is that imagery popping in your head from Revelation? Remember we read that at the beginning? And there's two olive trees beside it. The angel explains they represent God's spirit at work, not man's might. It's really, really cool. He says that that is talking about in God's spirit, not in Zerubbabel's might. Zerubbabel is rebuilding the temple, right? How many people do we know, or how many times have we been called by God to do something, and we're really good at trying to pull it off in our own ability? 
not by your ability, not by your might, not by your strength, but by God's spirit. That's what power is at. And he says they'll know that God's at work when Zerubbabel finishes the temple because Zerubbabel finished the temple. Look at what God's done in his life. We talked about that in Bible Fellowship, right? The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord looking throughout the earth. Just as God is literally looking all throughout the earth, seeing everything that's happening. So what does it tell us? The thing that powers God's work is not our own strength or resolve, but His Spirit. Far too often we rely on our own strength, our own resolve, not His Spirit, and then we wonder why it doesn't work out. He often selects those incapable of doing what He's called them to do. This highlights Him, not us. Do we kind of just study that? Kind of crazy how God just connects all of it. Finally, the Holy Spirit is the fuel you not only need, but you have for the next chapter. The next chapter in your life, right? It is the Holy Spirit guiding us. He's empowered us. He is like, it's like my favorite principle in all Scripture. Is that we're connected to the God of the universe. If you want an illustration for this, just look at us. Could you believe that God would use you? I think you guys are awesome, but let's just be honest here. Right? Christians throughout history have been a pretty ragtag bunch. You're not exactly looking going, oh man, that guy's got everything together. No, the ones who have everything together, there tends to be a problem that pops up later. God pulls us out of death into life. He writes the next chapter of our life, and he does it over and over again saying, and you'll know that it was me who built the temple when Zerubbabel finishes it. Because you'll look at Zerubbabel's life and you'll say, wow, no way that happens without God. This next one is just full tilt crazy. Chapter 5, let's read it together. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width is 10 cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said, Lift your eyes and see what this thing is that's going out. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is a basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, a lead cover was lifted, and in it was a woman sitting in a basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust her down in the lead weight upon its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared... They will set the basket down there on its base. It's just incredible uh, what 
the spiritual world is. Zechariah first sees a scroll. When you see the cubits, right? That's 30 feet by 15 feet. How big is that? That's big. That's big. And you know what I love? This, this is what I love so much about the Bible. The angel says, what do you see? And he's like, I, I, I see a flying scroll. What is it? The angel's like, it's a flying scroll. Right? It's like the humor of the Bible is so crazy. He's told that this is a curse that's going out to those that falsely claim God, and it's going to purge them. So he sees literally, I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's the spiritual world, so we've got to kind of wrap our head around it a little bit. Picture the biggest magic carpet you've ever seen. And he's seeing this, and written on one side is how it's going to deal with those that have been thieves. And on the other side, it says it's going to deal with those who have dealt falsely with God. Those who have claimed God falsely. And he says it's going to purge them. It's going to, there will be destruction to those that do not follow Christ. And then you have this second section that's even crazier where he looks and there's this ephah, which is about five to six gallons. Think a big lead pot. Just five to six gallons. Would that be about this tall? Yeah, let's, let's go with that. About that tall, maybe about that wide, a lead pot. And he says, go check out the lead pot. And he's like, Whoa. He lifts it up. There's a woman inside the pot. Think a very small woman inside a five to six gallon pot. Is your brain not breaking right now? Right? This is crazy. And then you know what the angel says? This is wickedness. Wickedness is in the pot. And then he says, puts the lid back on, and says, wickedness is ready. It's been prepared. It's at the right temperature. And these two other beings come that fly in with wings like storks, and they pick up the pot to take it to the land of Shinar. When you hear Shinar, think Babylon. It's in Genesis, it's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where Shinar would mean going off into the land of paganism, the land of idolatry. So what he's saying is, is they're taking it off, it's ready, and it's going to go to a home that's being built for it. What pops in your head? A temple. This is literally a false god being created. We're getting to see that in the spiritual world. And when the home is ready... They'll be worshipped there. There is absolute wickedness. There is evil. And in the spiritual world it is active. But God is greater and is dealing with it. It's so incredible to be able to see this. But why do we care? Like what does it tell us? It tells us that God's word will accomplish its task. Those that claim God but have not submitted to him will receive punishment. We know this. If you don't claim Christ, if you don't give your life over to Christ, if you don't surrender to him and his gift of salvation, there is punishment for you. But it doesn't stop there. God's aware of the plan of the enemy to draw people away from him. But even with all of that, Wickedness will try to draw you away from God. And here's the, here's the weird thing that we don't talk about very much. It happens in the next chapter too. 
We've been talking a lot about the next chapter of your life. You've given your life to God. Now you're walking with God. You're now in the spirit. You're thinking in terms of spiritual thoughts, right? Wickedness isn't done with you. You've given your life to Jesus. That's incredible. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. It's incredibly important. It's life or death. But wickedness isn't done with you. Because if wickedness can draw your eyes from God now, you're not being effective in following him now. And that stuff is happening right now in the spiritual world. And he's showing Zechariah all of this because Zechariah's next chapter is going to be defined just like ours in the spiritual side of things, not the physical. Last one. Four chariots. Verse 1 reads like this of chapter 6. Again I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord and all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north, and the white ones go after them. Then the dappled horses go towards the south country. When the strong horses come out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he, cried, then he cried to them, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at the rest in the north country. And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on this throne. And there shall be a priest on this throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be on the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helem, Tobijah, Jediah, and him the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Don't get lost in the names here. What he says is, there's four chariots coming down. Remember, think like we were talking about the patrols earlier, right? They're going to patrol the earth. Just pause for a second and realize this. The one from the north came back with a positive report. How often in scripture do we hear, repent, repent, follow God, follow God, and it seems like no one ever does, right? Doesn't it seem like the passages we have in scripture highlight the people who don't follow God? We hear that over and over and over again. They, they, they had all these opportunities to follow God, all these opportunities to follow God, and then they didn't. The north people did. Give it up for them. That's exciting. That, I found that incredibly encouraging that he came back and said, those people have set my spirit at rest. They've followed God. And then he's told to take an offering that would be used to make crowns. One crown would be given to the man named Branch. Is that popping any... Ideas off in your head? 
that man would be both priest and king. So what does this tell us? Some people actually repent when faced by God. Yes. Seriously, that's so encouraging to me. Next is that God continued to lay the groundwork for Messiah throughout his story. This is pre-Jesus walking the earth, but he was laying the groundwork for what it would look like once Jesus did, and then what it will look like once he returns. He will be a priest and a king. He will wear a crown. His name will be Branch. And you see that imagery over and over again in Scripture. You are a part of laying the groundwork for Christ's return in the next chapter of our lives. Jesus isn't done. Not only is he still saving, but he's also going to return. And we're a part of laying the groundwork just like they were a part of laying the groundwork for the temple. It's not the same thing, but it's similar. We get to follow God now. You know that scene in a movie where it's like halfway through? And then a character shows up who you've never met before. And that character plays like a major role when it ends up at the end of the movie. Like, oh, I didn't know that guy was in this movie. Anybody ever had that happen? Nobody? No movies? All right, cool. So that's what we're talking about, right? I just want to throw this out here. That's you. That's me. Now, we want to make sure we don't overestimate our, our worth. Right? God is God, and God does his thing whether, whether or not we follow him or not. But here's what's cool. We're a part of his story. We're a supporting actor in his story. And guess what? We didn't show up until probably at least halfway through in the movie. We don't really know how this is, in terms of time, how this is going to go. But he's been telling this story for thousands of years, and now you show up. You're not the lead. I'm not the lead. He is. We can do a good job of being a supporting actor. We can continue to move the story along. We can continue to follow him and people see in our lives who Jesus is. That's what we're called to do. The branch has not returned yet. It's not over. So closing it up, obedience and action. How does this work itself out with one another, right? So within the body. Realize that there's a spiritual war being fought that you cannot see. The enemy wants to draw our eyes from God. Be gentle with one another, encourage, pray, and love one another. Those are all words we know, but are we doing it? Are we being gentle with one another? Are we choosing to love one another? Are we encouraging one another? And are we realizing that maybe there's spiritual stuff going on in that other person's life? In fact, there probably is. Specifically, this week, pray for the members of the Thieves family. They're moving across the country. That's a way this week that you can love the body because it's kind of a big transition. We moved two and a half hours and it was like the craziest thing we've ever done. And you guys are moving basically to Alaska. You know what I'm saying? Like pray for them, encourage them, contact them after, right? Ask the question of someone in the body, how are you doing spiritually? What's God doing in your life? Not just the simple back and forth, which is all important and all valuable, but actually ask someone, what's God, what's God doing in your life? Spiritually, what's going on with you? Let's connect with one another. 
So how does this work itself out in our community? Pray for your community and the spiritual warfare that's taking place. Because it is. Ask God how you would help meet the needs of someone in your community this week. So someone that you see in your community, pray to God. Hey God, how can I meet the needs of this person? Or if, if no one comes to mind, God, who should I be meeting the needs of in, our, in my community? What, what should I be doing? Next, remember that everyone has a past and Satan uses that to tear us down. Ask God how you can encourage those around you. All of us have our baggage. And finally, remember the key idea. The next chapter of your life is going to be defined by the spiritual side of things. The physical is important, but it ain't the spiritual. It ain't eternal. It ain't what's going to happen forever. It's what's happening right now in this segment of our lives. It's defined by what God is doing, how he is moving. Follow him. Guys, we love you. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.